So we're in this series in one of the most profound sections of scripture, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter that really combines two years of teaching in a book that you could read in about 20 minutes if you just read the words. Uh, he taught in Tyrannus Hall, uh, and he lectured every day for a period of two years, every day, probably hours a day. And this is, the book of Ephesians is just a, it's a pressed down condensed version of two years of discipleship from the Apostle Paul. And we've been looking at what it means to put on the new you. Uh, and we've seen the, the first thing, we, we've got to give up some things. One is, and starting in the first chapter four, verse 17, he says, put off lies. Um, of course, if we know something's untrue, it's easy to put it off. But the problem is most lies have a lot of truth to them. You know, when, and, and the way that uh, our enemy, uh, the world, our own flesh comes at us is often to tell us things that are not true. So um, mo the most effective lie is 98% true. <laughs> and it's just the 2% that's false that's coming after us to get us to go down the road, right? Most lies have a little bit of truth to it. So, so he says, put off lies. And then he says, put off unrighteous anger. Uh, put off bitterness. Put off unforgiveness so that you can express who Jesus is. The goal of this, of this whole section of Ephesians is so that you and I live out the life of Jesus Christ. And we, we looked last week at the highest expression of that after putting off anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and putting off lies is this calling to live a life of love. Such a beautiful, positive, uh, and, and to base your life on the example of Jesus Christ. But now we're coming to a hard section. And before, before I read it to you, I want to say this flies in the face of our culture, but it also was one of those sections where he spells out things which we have to completely and totally reject for ourselves, our lives, and our Christian community if we are going to be Christ-like. And he, he lays those out in, in, and it almost looks like a, here's the fine print in the contract of grace. <laughs> you know, yeah, we say we're saved by grace, but then it's got all these really hard things. But here's, no, it's not that. It's rather saying, here is what the grace of God, when you welcome the grace and the light of Christ into your life, here's what it will look like. It will look different than any combination of things in the world. And so I want you to hear, as I just read to you the word of God. And hey, you'll have to control this from up there, okay? Um, so uh, as we read you this section, these are God's unchanging words. They are timeless, true for all people's places and times, and they are perfectly inspired by the Spirit of God. So hear the word of God, starting with verse three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. 
have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let us pray. Father, help us to receive your unchanging word. Lord, much of this is very, very countercultural, um, and yet there is safety and life here. We, we know your words are spirit and life. Be with me, the preacher, that I would preach only what is according to your word. Be with us as we hear it, to hear it in the context of your invitation to life and grace and that which will bring us abundant and everlasting joy. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the first thing this passage sets forth for us is there is a countercultural standard. He's looking at, if you have verse 3 for me, uh, as he sets this up, he's calling us uh, to not even have uh, a hint, and he says, of sexual morality, impurity, or greed, uh, which is idolatry. Uh, and he's taking aim at all kinds of things that are inconsistent with the life of Jesus Christ uh, lived out in you. Uh, this is how Christians basically um, shocked the world that they were living in in the first century. Um, pagan commentators uh, looking at the culture that Christianity uh, lived out said it was amazing how they lived because in that day uh, there was open promiscuity uh, of sexual immorality. People shared their bodies with virtually anyone they pleased with. Uh, but charity and public charity and charity and generosity that crossed outside the boundary of your family was virtually unheard of. And these Christians turned it on their heads. They did not share their bodies with anyone except that person that they were in a covenant of marriage in, an exclusive covenant between one man, one woman for a lifetime but they shared their money promiscuously with everyone, and it caused the world to scratch their heads. Who are these people who are so generous with their money, but who reserve their bodies only for each other? This was, this was not common beyond the Jews in the world that they lived with. It was one reason they looked down on the Gentiles, and now you have all of these people from these different Gentile ethnicities living out this countercultural ethic. And here, he says, this is why. He says, this is the life of God um, set forth within you. And, he, and it's, it's good that he names all manner of these sins. In fact, he, he names sexual morality, then greed, uh, which he says is, an, is a form of idolatry. And you can say that both of them, both of these sins are forms of idolatry. It is taking our own needs into our own hands uh, and having something that is more valuable to us than God. Uh, Martin Luther said this about the Ten Commandments. He says, every time you or I sin, uh, the gateway to that sin is breaking the first commandment. Something is driving us that is more important than God, and we are going to meet our needs in our way uh, by our ability. And so here he rules out both as inconsistent with the gospel. If Jesus is Lord and he's functioning in Lord in our life, as Lord in our life, then uh, we live differently in these areas. And uh, he mentions three things about sexual immorality. 
Um, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, and coarse jesting, uh, the kind of speech that is often the gateway um, to loosen uh, the wonder and the, the right place of the gift of our sexuality uh, is completely forbidden for the Christian. This is so countercultural, especially maybe on a Super Bowl Sunday of all things. Our, our world is so broken, and we are so broken in these ways. Uh, but someone reminded me before the service that, you know, um, Super Bowl Sunday is also a day where there is more child trafficking in, in sexual abuse than any other day. Our culture is awash in this. And in fact, to even state this, um, I heard a preacher who was preaching on this text. They were, they were accused of causing trauma simply by articulating what the claims and the teaching of the Christian faith has been for 2,000 years. Not only just the Christian faith, but virtually every single other faith. Um, Judaism, Buddhism, Confucianism, um, virtually all kinds of forms of moral secularism have taught the same thing, that our sexuality is so powerful that it really is to be reserved, uh, to be the cementing bond of unity between a man and a woman in a covenant for a lifetime because that union uniquely is able to produce children who need the, the example of both a man and a woman over a lifetime uh, to be raised and nurtured in so that they can live out uh, their manhood and womanhood. And this, right, you, if you had articulated this just a few decades ago, I've been preaching long enough that, that that's, I was articulating a few decades, most people would say, yeah, that is the accepted position that has basically been a building block of society. And now you mention it and people say, this is oppressive, or, it is, or, or to obey this is repressive. When our text basically says, no, it's the opposite of that. To, ex to live this out is basically to allow your new nature, which if, if you are a believer, now this is a passage written to believers, it's not written to the world, it's saying that when you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit of God had preceded that with a work on your heart and was implanting in you the ability to say yes to Jesus, because no one can say yes to Jesus except by the Holy Spirit, and he also was implanting in you the renewal of who you really are through, being, through having a new nature renewed in, in what Ephesians says, in righteousness, holiness, and truth. It's who you and I are really meant to be. It's who we are meant to flourish. And he says, this, this is who you are. And so he says, these are, are improper for God's holy people. Uh, and, and so it's, it's named these these three times and ways, because here's the, the biblical standard is that um, to want to be intimate with someone, to want to be this vulnerable in this act of um, interlocking bodies sexually without having a lifetime commitment to them is to use a person and to discard them. And, and I know when I, when I preach about this, it can be triggering from people who have had abusive situations, who, who have had unwanted situations. But, but the reality is the Bible would agree with the fact that this traumatizes us because it demeans us as image bearers and human beings. It is a step away from the loving purposes that God gave. Again, uh, I like how C.S. Lewis in 1952 
comments on this, and, and note this is in 1952, he writes this, he says, we use a most unfortunate idiom when we say of a lustful man prowling in the streets that he wants a woman. Strictly speaking, a woman is just what he does not want. He wants a pleasure for which a woman happens to simply be a necessary piece of apparatus. And how much he cares about the woman as such may be gauged by his attitude to her five minutes after fruition. And he writes this, he says, one does not keep the carton after one has smoked the cigarettes. Well, that is blunt. But that is why Jesus gives this command. In fact, that's why Jesus gives every command. It's to protect us. And it's also to provide for us something that is better. Centuries before that, here's an interesting quote from uh, St. Augustine, who is the convert of his mother's tears and who was... Uh, a, a kind of sex addict in the fourth century. In fact, one of his, one of his humorous prayers was, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> Let me experience the pleasures of the world for, for this season. But he reflects on the pain of his, his pre-submission to Jesus Christ before he came to Jesus Christ in his adolescent years. And he says this, he says, the bubbling impulses of puberty befogged and obscured my heart so that it could not see the difference between love's serenity and lust's, lust darkness. The confusion of these two things just boiled within me and it seized hold of my youthful weakness, sweeping me through the precipitous rocks of desire to submerge me in a whirlpool of vice. I, in my misery, seethed and followed the driving force of my impulses, abandoning God. But I exceeded all the bounds set by your law and did not escape your chastisement as no mortal can do, for you were always with me, uh, and you touched me with a bitter taste in all my illicit pleasures, and your intention was that I should seek delights unspoilt by the disgust that came after." To, to use someone sexually vulnerably outside of covenant is to violate something that creation built into us. Again, from Genesis 2, we see that God said that Adam and Eve were to be joined together in a covenant that was stronger than blood ties. This was, you know, well, they had no parents. This was like a prefigure of what marriage is. And it said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. It was saying that the bond of marriage was more important than the bond of traditional family lineage. Do you know how revolutionary that is in the ancient world? In, in parts of the world today to say, a covenant you make with someone by choice in marriage is more important than the people that share your same DNA and your blood ties. Because it's saying that that point of covenant, that covenant is stronger than blood. And that um, though those, those, those two do not share the same blood, that when they take that that step, and when they join themselves to each other, they are forming a union that is more intertwined and more, uh, more committed and powerful by covenant. That is, that is the highest order of commitment. Uh, it's what I often tell couples when they get married. I say, like, you know, there is nothing in these vows about how you feel right now. <laughs> because at least 99% of the couples I've ever married felt pretty positively about each other on the day of marriage. <laughs> um, that's pretty much the norm, right? So, so there is nothing. And you notice like the vows that couples write for each other as, as nice and sweet as those often are. They talk about how, much, how great they feel about each other and how they make each other feel in the moment. And I'm just like, hey, you know what? That's great, but we're gonna stick with the old vows. <laughs> because those old vows say, I will be here 
and, and until the end. And, and, and I promise to be with you. I promise to be true to you until the very end. And you know what? That signifies the kind of love that God has developed for us, that God has not developed, but has revealed that he had for us before the foundation of the world, revealed in Jesus Christ in covenant. And so covenant is more important than blood. And so commitment comes before intimacy. You can't really be free and intimate with someone who's, who says, yeah, I don't know whether I'll see you tomorrow or next week or next month. Not sure. You cannot, intimacy is, is impossible apart from the stability of that kind of commitment saying I, we are weaving together our lives and we are committed to face it for the future. So that's the groundwork. And so what he's saying here is do not give in to, to behavior that will cheapen that bond. Now, now this, again, there's a whole lot of things that preachers didn't used to have to say that we have to say now. I mean, in, in a very short time, we've moved from a consensus about the historical global definition of marriage into a time that is just disorienting. You know, in, in, in 2012, the decision for the Supreme Court was redefining marriage from what it has been in virtually every society that has endured. Uh, and it's put Christians on the defensive, but here's the reality. Um, you, this is kind of one of those laws that you can't break any more than you can break the law of gravity by throwing yourself off a cliff. You don't so much break the law of gravity when you throw yourself off the cliff, you break yourselves. And, and we, are, we are living in the wreckage of that. And yet it's also put us in this uncomfortable place, and I'll just share even thinking about what I needed to say, what God would want me to say this morning, right? Um, which is always my stance. What do you want me to say, God? I'm under your orders, right? And it's like, I would much rather be talking about what we're for rather than what we're against, right? Amen? <laughs> uh, if, and if we were merely a political organization or seeking to build our institution in human strength, it would be time to change our views. But we are not that. Uh, revealed truths are not changed by human referendums, Right? <laughs> We didn't make our foundational belief up about a murdered Galilean rising from the dead or returning on a white horse to rescue us one day at the end of history and to bring his reality upon this earth and all the areas. We didn't make that up. And, and we also don't make up the stuff about how we should live in the meantime. So we're for, we're for recovery, but we're against addictions. I'd rather talk about recovery than addictions, but you gotta talk about both, right? We're, we're, we're for honest face-to-face -face conversations, but we're against gossip. We're, we're for delicious food, but we're against gluttony. <laughs> we're for repentance, which is life-giving, but we're against sin. But what if that we are living in a world where there seems to be more sinning than repentance, more addiction than recovery, and more gossip than facts? Because the reality is, as Christians, we're for sex and sexuality, but we're against all forms of immorality. But what if we're living in a context where there's more champion of immorality than healthy sex? And, and I know enough about CLC, praise God, we're a diverse family, and, and he meets everybody where, we find us, where he finds us. We're a broken family that acknowledges our brokenness and acknowledges that when we failed like David, we pray like David. We say, God, be merciful to me and cleanse me, cleanse my heart. And God does it. He's amazing. Um, and, and we want to focus on the timeless truths, which is every single person is, is made in the image of God. Everyone is broken, fallen, and rebellious. Sin has been equally distributed across uh, the planet for all of us, certainly including me, starting with me. 
And redemption is possible for everybody. And the terms of redemption are coming to Jesus Christ. And coming to Christ means that you and I come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. And it begins by just expressing repentance and faith. And that spiritual progress isn't just up and to the right, but it often looks like this with relapses and reconnections and times to, to re more our life to Christ. And it's okay to not be okay, but if you profess that Christ lives in you, it's not okay to stay that way. And it's in that context that we say, when we assert this, that we're, we're outliving and we're seeking to outlove the culture that is turning away from the things that have always anchored souls and lives and families and caused the generation to come to flourish. And that means also, though, that it's right that we are not able to rejoice when our culture is doubling down in denying truths that no civilization has ever denied and survived. We never look to that culture to steady us. We're steadied by the word of God. But we can grieve that our culture is causing greater confusion and greater brokenness. It is. Um, we can't rejoice when the world makes it easier for people to be confused and enslaved and harmed. We can't rejoice in that. We have to rally around our never-changing calling to be the church that Jesus Christ founded. And, and we will forever say, love is gonna win. <laughs> That's the good news. But love does not win when Christians fail to tell people the truth with humility and grace. Love doesn't win then. Love does not win if we cheer people on as they run headlong over a cliff to their own destruction. Love does not win if we celebrate people's freedom to destroy themselves or if we stop believing that God actually knows what's best for people or if we doubt God's power and plan to transform all sinners without exception uh, starting with me into new creatures. And so that's the vision that this text has for us. That, that even in our inner thoughts, as well as our words, as well as our sense of humor, that, that we lean into this and say, Jesus, if you want us to be a counterculture, uh, as it seems that he is calling us to be, we will be that counterculture. Again, this, this is for those who... who have embraced Jesus Christ uh, and, and are saying, I'm willing to live in a world. And this, this is a text from 1 Peter 3 that I think is so descriptive. It says that um, the Gentiles are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. They're surprised. But what they ultimately will see, if you live in the long run of the narrative, is they will see the things that they think are the only sources of joy and that we cannot live without they actually defeat and depress and demoralize us at, as a, at a deep heart level. And so this is the calling. This is the calling to say, we, we wanna love all sinners, but we don't wanna love the sin. You, you probably heard it said, hate the sinner, not the sin. I don't think that's working so well. I don't like to put hate in my vocabulary. I'd rather just say it this way, love the sinner, but not the sin. Love all kinds of sinners and reflect on the image of God and, and be willing to, to live in this way. And our text says there's a couple primary ways we live it. First of all, uh, by not being deceived, he says don't be deceived by the false teaching and clever sounding arguments. But then as he moves down into, into our text, he says expose by simply the presence of a godly Christ-centered life. And I, I love that call for us to expose what's wrong 
by simply living out the abundant joy of following Christ and being radically, being willing to be radically different and radically obedient and even being willing to articulate truths that used to be, everybody said, yeah, 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 we all know that. And now if you articulate them, it's gonna spoil a polite conversation, right? <laughs> and here he says the antidote is to simply expose by holy presence. Now, I think this is true for all those sins he listed. It's true for, for greed. It's true for, we live in a world where people are living, um, the average person lives not just to consume 100% of their income, but lives to consume 113% credit card debt. <laughs> that needs to be exposed by people who say, you know what, if, if you or I live and we spend 100% of what we get on ourselves, even squirreling some away in savings, that is a greedy life. There's absolutely no way to escape the force of scripture that says if you and I live and we spend everything we have upon ourselves, that is a life that is completely wrapped up in itself. So what is the escape of scripture? It says, be generous, give your life away. Our, our giving, our generosity should also be an expose. And, and our centeredness on Jesus Christ should be a, a kind of exposure that awakens a culture under the spell. And I, and I love the text where he says, that, our role for either Christians who have been deceived or have decided to, you know, that God somehow has lightened up all of his standards and they're just changing those standards, our, our response to that is to live as this incredible awakening expose where he says our impact on other people is that we awaken them to something else. Love that description. That description of, of our impact. In uh, R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God, he tells this true story about a golf game between uh, Billy, Ga Billy Graham, uh, the great evangelist, Gerald Ford, who was president at the time, Jack Nicklaus, and one other unnamed professional golfer. And do you know this story? They, they played a round of golf, of course, for a couple hours, and this person knew the unnamed golfer, and said, what was it like playing with the president and Billy Graham and Jack Nicklaus? And the, this professional golfer said this, he says, I don't need Billy Graham shoving religion down my throat. And with that, he headed off to the Prescott's tee in a huff. And his friend followed, and this golfer pounded out his fury against Billy Graham on a whole bucket of golf balls. And his friend asked him, his friend who's a believer said, was Billy a little tough on you out there? And the pro sighed and said with embarrassment, he said, uh, no, he was just very gracious, kind. He didn't even mention things of the faith. And astonishingly, on that golf game, Billy Graham had said nothing about God, Jesus, or religion, but yet the pro stomped away after the game, accusing Billy Graham of trying to shove religion down his throat. And what had happened, simply this, well, I think what is in our text, it is that Billy Graham so reflected a life of Christ-likeness that his, his presence brought the same feeling to the pro that, that came to... Uh, to a figure like Isaiah when he was ushered in the Holy of Holies when he just saw that God was so holy and he said, woe is me, I'm, I am a man of unclean lips. And he just had this sense, <clears throat> this sense of wonder by example. It's, you know, this is a negative image of it, but you know, what happens to us when we're driving down the freeway, you know, you're driving down Route 1 and all of a sudden you see a police car parked in the medium waiting you slam on the brakes, right? And, and usually you check your speedometer and most of the times I'm like, yeah, I would have been guilty if I hadn't seen them, you know? Maybe it's an unmanned car, whatever. But what we, what we hardly ever say is, 
I might have been dead if they weren't there. Um, if they weren't there, I might have driven my 85 miles an hour and gotten behind a mushroom soil truck and been buried in mushroom soil or something, you know. Like, we don't ever say that, right? But, but the reality is, the commands of God are life. This was what God said when he gave them to Moses. He says, choose life this way. Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. I came that you might have life. I came that you might have life and life abundantly. And we're into this, this sense, exposure. Think about this. We, we need to shine this light also among ourselves. We live in a, in a world right now that if there's one thing both political spectrums agree upon is the right to privacy. I mean, have you noticed that? Whether it's right-wing or left-wing, they're really, they can come to agreement about, hey, our privacy is being invaded. Do you hear that? And it's often a good thing to be a little suspicious, not just on what they disagree on, but what everybody agrees on and say, what's going on with everybody agreeing about this right to privacy being so important? And don't get me wrong, I don't wanna be under surveillance by the Chinese. And I don't want you know, business tracking my every movement on the internet. But why is everybody so passionate about keeping everything locked down and private? I think that maybe there's a rat underneath the debris, uh, this, this facade of privacy, because what are we so desperate that should not be exposed? It's probably not something good. You know, it's, it's generally exposure. This, this is why when you, you know, in your most rebellious, broken moment of life, how many of you in your most broken, rebellious moment of life were accompanied by a person who was a sold out Christ follower who was all in for him? Most of us, we say, hey, I don't want that person to be invited, <laughs> right? It's like the plans are, you know, the, the weekend of debauchery, let's bring the word debauchery back, that many plan for the Super Bowl, they aren't planning to take their godly Christ-following friend with them. <laughs> it will somehow spoil it, right? Uh, and, and so it's true for us too. What are we afraid of? Of the light. Because it's often there where we really need to come to God who's coming with the light, not to condemn us, but rather like a surgeon to remove the cancer cells and to remove the the tumor from us there, there's a sense in which and i was talking to my wife about this it's like you know there's a sense in which we should be very happy for somebody to publish here is how much money they have in their bank account here is how much money they have invested in their home here is how much money they give to charity and generous causes and say yeah we got nothing to fear or at least for somebody's eyes to be on that and say Here's some counsel I have for you. And, and the same thing should be true of, of, of our internet searches. There's a sense in which we should say, yeah, publish it and put it in the church newsletter and put my name next to it. That should be the case. Why isn't that the case? It's because there's something that is going amiss in the human heart. And here he's saying the way that we are healed is we bring these things into the light. Now, I'm, I don't think that there's going to be a rush this week of you all sending me all of your internet search history or of your tax returns so that we can publish them for everybody to read them. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying, are we bringing those things into the light of Christ in a real way? We honor that some of the places that we need healing and to be brought into the light, you know, there's no place 
that sometimes is, is more effective to heal us of the things that plague us than in the, in the counsel of a really close and wise and godly friend. And we share the things that are in our heart, and they say, hey, they may gently say, I've had friends say to me, don't get stuck here. I know this is, this is an ongoing struggle. There's grace here. Or in, if it's not a friend that, you know, you hire a friend that you can fire, otherwise known as a therapist. <laughs> and not, not all therapists, just like not all churches. I don't recommend the solution of church because it depends on what kind of church. I don't recommend all therapists because it depends on the kind of therapist. But the whole exercise is bring what's inside you out into the light, right? It's a really vulnerable place, right? Where you say, here's, here's the toughest things. Here's the toughest episodes of my life. Here's the toughest struggles. But what a good therapist does what the ultimate wonderful counselor Jesus would use that as a vehicle and is it to say like those things are sign paths of where you need healing and, and of where the gospel can come to you and, and where Jesus can come and bring you full, the fullest of healing for, for where you really are. And so who of us doesn't need that? We need to be recipients of that first to say, Christ, am I withholding anything? I want my life to be open to you, your searching view. I, I, I want you to bring the correction. I want you to bring healing with anything that is out of alignment, with anything that is out of alignment, anything that is out of accord. I want you to set me in alignment so that the paths, the decisions, the values that I'm living, I can truly say, Lord, that I want you to, to bless. Jesus' words in the Beatitudes were not blessing is anyone who thirsts for blessedness, but he said blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the way that happens is through, the, through this gospel of Christ that we come as we are through a savior that can cleanse us and we come with all of our failures. And again, if you fail like David, pray like David, search me, O God, and try my heart. Search me and understand. And he says, God, be gracious to me. Cleanse me. Forgive me anew and afresh. And in the resources of Christ, he's able to do that. But we let the light in. We let the light in. We, so here's simply what this text says. It says, don't change the standards because the standards are calling you and I to a life that is more abundant and powerful and beautiful and radiant than we can ever imagine. Um, don't change the standards. Live out, seek to live out the standards and, and see your life used to raise the standard of Jesus Christ in the midst of our own generation but then finally welcome that light into your own heart and there will be an awakening. You will live not drowsily, half asleep, not present for the relationships God has, but you will live a life that, you know, we may only be dimly reflecting shadows of the life that we ultimately are meant to live in Jesus Christ. Isn't that, that is incredible news. And so he says, what he wants us to be impacting each other in the world for, awaking sleepers so that, that they experience almost a resurrection rising from the dead. He says, that's what he wants for us. He wants the life that we live out because of Jesus Christ to be a comparison of life versus death, light versus darkness, uh, as we avail ourselves of the fruit of the cross. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, these verses that tell us that we're to live as children of the light of that which we really are. For those who know you, Lord, we thank you that by your grace, through the cleansing of the cross, through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, we are that people. And we pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us, that we would let go of anything that it, we're keeping in the shadows, 
that we would present it and bring it before you and that you would set us free. We pray that the gracious light of Jesus Christ would shine upon us and we pray, Lord, you would make us faithful as a community that pursues that, come what may, for your glory. And Lord, you've linked that glory to our good. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?
as we've let the light in here, now we take the light of Christ out. So the God we've met, worshiped, adored here, we take out into this broken world that God loves. He sends us, his children, out to reach those who are not yet his. He loves them so much, he's willing to put us proximate, loving, sacrificing, giving ourselves. So lift up your hearts and receive his strength and benediction and presence as you do that. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Open up the window. Let the light open up the window. Let the light open up the window. Let the light Let the light Let the light open up the windows. Let the light open up the windows. Let the light open up the windows. Let the light Let the light Let the light open up the windows. Let the light open up the windows. Let the light open up the windows. Let the light Let the light Let the light open up the Oh